It's Wednesday, October 17th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, I am thrilled to have Taylor Callum join us today for the Defender Podcast. And Taylor uh, and her family live in San Antonio, Texas, where her husband is stationed. Uh, they have uh, also just recently, a year and a half, adopted from the country of China. And Taylor uh, has just been so gracious, not only through their adoption process, but also through her time to volunteer with Lifeline and Unadopted to go many on many of our therapy trips and on many of our uh, trips to do medical diagnosis and, and, and analysis of children in China specifically. And so, Taylor, thanks for joining us. I know you're a behavioral analyst, and a lot of what you do is, is help see children who uh, may have behavioral issues and, and help families have a plan for that, but also to, to really seek some therapy on behalf of those children. But just in general... And obviously, you've been through the adoption process yourself, and then you've been on these trips to evaluate children in orphanages. Uh, what are, when would a family know to seek therapy? What are some of those signs that therapy may be something a family wants to seek? Right. Well, as you know, when children come home and they begin to adjust to life in a family, um, the training that we receive as adoptive parents is that you might see some problem behaviors. You might see difficulties sleeping or eating or poor socialization, difficulty connecting um, with the adoptive family. And so those are things that as adoptive parents we're prepared for and we know we might experience But what I would tell a family, um, you might want to start seeking out more specialized, intense, and perhaps behavioral therapy when your child isn't responding to some of these great basic introductory techniques that you learn through the training that Lifeline provides. I know for my husband and I, um, we flew in, and we're in Texas, but we flew in for the training before we adopted our daughter. And so many valuable techniques that I feel like if you're a parent, unfamiliar with how to uh, parent a child with trauma or problem behavior. They're great strategies to start with. Um, Things like providing predictability, um, some different charts that you can show your child to identify where they're at on an emotional scale. But when those things aren't working and you're not seeing progress and your child's behavior is significantly disrupting their own life or the lives of siblings or kiddos at school, and you feel like it's just gone beyond um, what, you know, some typical adjustment um, type periods, that's when I would seek out more specialized and intensive um, intervention. Yeah, and talk a little bit too about, because I think a lot of families come in and when you think about therapy or when you think of even something we'll talk about in a minute, autism or some of these uh, these these natural progressions of, hey, I need to go see a, a therapist. I need to see a behavioral analysis. Um, a lot of times we, we put that to genetics or we put that to a physical uh, disability, but really trauma is also a trigger for a lot of the things that someone may need to see a therapist for. And so kind of describe how maybe trauma could affect these children, leading them to need uh, some sensory-based therapies, and other types of of help. 
Well, um, I would start off by saying that almost all behavior is learned. And by that, I mean our behavior is shaped by our environment. Um, whether you're a child or an adult, we all engage in behavior because at some point in our history, that behavior has been reinforced or strengthened. So when you look at kids who have lived in an orphanage or experienced some traumatic um things in their past that absolutely shapes their present. So if a child was left in a crib all day long and they didn't have sensory input, they didn't have toys, they learn maybe for instance, that banging their head on the wall provides that sensory input. So their past affects their present, or maybe, maybe they didn't get attention in an orphanage until they had a fit or a meltdown or until they were aggressive. So they learned that in order to get attention, you act out in ways that once you're in a loving home are no longer functional, but, th but they don't know that because that's their history and that's what their history has told them. So despite a diagnosis, um, you know, no matter what uh, genetic history, it's, it's the environment that can make a huge difference on behavior. Yeah. And, and I think it's important for any family uh, that sees any of these warning signs or these red flags and, and believes that they may need to get some type of increased therapy, that this is not, uh, this is not uh, a condition that you need to be ashamed of. Uh, but there are people that can help you and there are people that can help your child. And part of that, though, is, is, is getting a referral. So, Taylor, just walk us through the first steps of, okay, I know I need help. I understand that there are those that can help me. Uh, this is not something to be embarrassed by or to feel like I'm not doing a good enough job at home. How would a family go about seeking out these referrals? Yeah, the first thing I would do, of course, is talk to your, your caseworker because Lifeline provides such, um, such a wealth of expertise and people behind the scenes that can say, you know what, I hear you and I think you're right. I think this might be a little extreme than what we typically see with families. So I would start there. And then the next thing that you would want to do would be to go to your child's pediatrician. Um, they'll ask a bunch of questions. They may give you some questionnaires to fill out. And then they might even refer you to somebody called a developmental pediatrician, particularly if they think that um, your child might have autism. So definitely start with your pediatrician. Um, and then another place to start would be the school district as well, kind of next steps after that, if they're of school age. But starting with your pediatrician uh, would be, you know, ideal. And obviously, a lot of these, uh, a lot of these therapies will uh, be provided for by insurance, and insurance will come. But sometimes, and this is what you do in being a behavioral analyst, sometimes uh, these ABA services are not covered by insurance. So, talk a little bit about why. ABA is harder to get insurance and, and help families know some steps that they could go through to get their insurance to help out. Right. So, um, unfortunately, uh, with ABA, it is sometimes seen within the medical community as an intervention specific for autism spectrum disorders. Now, all of us who work in the field of ABA understand that that's not true. ABA is, is effective for treating problem behavior behavior regardless of, of where it's manifesting from, but that's not how insurance companies view it. So if your child is diagnosed with an autism spectrum disorder, it should be fairly straightforward to get a referral for ABA therapy. Um, some of it depends on the state you live in. Um, sometimes Medicaid covers ABA therapy. Um, I'm in Texas and I can tell you that Medicaid does not cover ABA in Texas but I know there are a handful of states where Medicaid 
um, covers ABA therapy. So um, if your child is diagnosed with autism, you're probably in luck. If your child is not diagnosed with autism, you might have a little bit more difficulty accessing services through um, just a commercial insurance plan. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it might be a little bit more difficult. Um, as a provider, we always accept private pay, and then we will help families try to find grants. There are a handful of grants out there that will help cover the cost of ABA therapy. So it really kind of depends on uh, the diagnosis as far as insurance coverage. So Taylor, even just talk a little bit for those who may not be as familiar with ABA therapy. Talk a little bit more about what that is and how mm -hmm. that could help a child, even children without autism. Right. So in a nutshell, ABA therapy is a science of decreasing inappropriate maladaptive behaviors while also increasing socially appropriate behaviors. So when I first meet a family, I want to know what is preventing your child from participating within your family, in the community, at school, in social settings, what is preventing them from doing that to the, to the best of their ability? What is preventing your child from fully assimilating into the greater community? So what we do is we work with the family to develop goals to target very specific problem behaviors. Um, some pretty common examples that parents come to me with are things like, my child has severe tantrums. My child has self-injury. My child is aggressive. My child engages in property destruction or is incredibly non-compliant. Those are just some of the kind of overarching problem behaviors that we see that really disrupt um, the child's life and the family's life. So we look to decrease those problem behaviors while simultaneously teaching that child what to do instead. So it's really kind of two sides of the same coin um, when you're looking at what, what ABA is designed to do. Yeah, and obviously there's other types of therapy as well. You have occupational mm -hmm. therapy and physical therapy. Talk about the differences in each of those therapies as well and kind of what those therapies are more designed to uh, right. help with, with children. So physical therapy is one that most of you are probably familiar with. In physical therapy, you're primarily focusing on gross motor deficits. Um, so kiddos with cerebral palsy, kiddos with a limb difference, when really um, the skill you're looking at um, is not there because of some sort of physical um, disability or neurological disability that might impact their motor skills. And then, of course, we have speech therapy. And I will say there is a pretty significant overlap between ABA and speech therapy, especially for our younger kiddos. In speech therapy, you're really focused on teaching language and communication skills, working on articulation. Um, speech therapy sessions are typically a little bit shorter, whereas with ABA therapy, our sessions are usually at least two hours. And ABA is definitely more intensive than speech therapy. We typically see our children you know, a minimum of four hours a week up to 30 hours a week. So we're still looking at that language and communication piece because we all know, and you know that if you have typically developing children, that when your child can't communicate, you will see problem behavior. If a child can't communicate the fact that they don't want to eat eggs and they can't say that, 
they'll throw the eggs or they'll hit mm-hmm. you so they don't have to eat the eggs. So a huge part of ABA is teaching language and communication skills um, within a social context. So there is that bit of um, overlap with speech therapy. We're focused a little bit less on the articulation side of it and a little bit more on how can a child functionally use language so that we can decrease problem behavior and increase appropriate skills. Um, and then of course we have OT as well. OT um, does a lot of sensory integration. And again, we, we definitely do some of that with ABA, but ABA is a little bit more looking at what are the direct things that happen right before your child has problem behavior and how can we change that environment to increase appropriate behavior and what's happening after that problem behavior and how can we change as parents, as teachers, as therapists, what we do right after that behavior to then change that behavior in the future. Um, So again, there's overlap with these therapies and we absolutely collaborate. I would say ABA is definitely more intensive and more broad. So we work on social skills. We work on adaptive skills like potty training, um, feeding therapy, which also is an overlap with speech therapy and occupational therapy, but we're really, really honed in on on that behavior, whether it's um, aggression or rigidity, difficulty with changes in schedules and routines, things like that. Taylor, talk a little bit about how, what is the best way, obviously we talked about going to the pediatrician, calling Lifeline, which are those first steps in getting connected with either an ABA therapist, an OT, a speech therapist, or a physical therapist, but specifically when we do think of ABA therapy and the, 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 just the, the broad scope mm-hmm. that ABA therapy can go, what's the best way for someone to find a good ABA therapist in their region or their mm-hmm. city? I would always start with um, your community of adoptive parents because those are the moms and dads that have gone before you. And you can say, hey, who in, who in the Birmingham area has had ABA for their child and who would you recommend? So obviously personal recommendations go a long way. That's how we receive a lot of clients at our clinic is just um, recommendations, families that are happy with their services. So I would start there. Another resource is our Behavior Analyst Certification Board website, which is BACB. Um, You can go to the BACB website or just do a Google search. So behavior analyst in Birmingham. Um, either of those should, should um, point you towards a list of behavior therapists. And once you've got that list, the, then it's, it's what do you do from there? How do you pick the right ABA therapist for your family? And I think that's an important um, step to explore too. And then obviously, as we've talked about, a lot of uh, behavioral analysts see are known for people mostly think of autism. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly you do see a fair share of children that are struggling with autism. Talk a little bit about how a family can pot- potentially see some warning signs of towards autism. Right. So the, the, there's two main things that you want to look for when you're kind of thinking, hmm, maybe my child has autism. The first would be poor social skills. So those things look like lack of eye contact, lack of um, bringing, bringing to show items. So if your child isn't bringing a ball to you and getting excited because they're holding a new ball that they've never seen before, or if they're not pointing when you're out in the community and there's something new and exciting that they should be pointing 
at to show you because in life we share enjoyment with others. If your child isn't seeking you out to share enjoyment, if they're not responding to their name, if they um, seem to not understand subtle social cues, if they're not picking up on the fact that as a parent you're frustrated or you're joyful or you're excited, just some of that lack of emotional reciprocity, though that's definitely a warning sign. Um, and again, it's, it's compounded with adoption because our kids come to us not knowing the language that we speak. They come to us lots of times with a lack of social opportunity within the environment they were at before. So it can be difficult to know, is this autism or is this, are they showing poor social skills because of their environment? Um, but regardless, if you're seeing that, I would, I would seek out an, a professional opinion. And then the second major red flag with autism in particular is restrictive, repetitive patterns of behavior. So that would be when a child engages in the same types of behavior over and over. Um, that might be spinning in circles. That might be hand flapping. That can be um, running their hand up and down the same section of the fence at the playground a um, hundred times over. That might be the child who doesn't play functionally with toys as they're designed, but instead might lay down on the floor and just look at the toys in a line back and forth or spin wheels on a car or um, just those behaviors that they do over and over again that look like they're honing in on an item without actually engaging the social world around them. It's also the child who insists on their shoe being tied the exact same way every time or you driving to school the exact same route every way or each time you go to school, just that insistence on repetitiveness and sameness um, is, is your second red flag for autism spectrum disorder. And I know a lot of families and a lot of people, when they think of autism, uh, you know, probably uh, a pit in their stomach uh, mm -hmm. starts and it seems like a very scary diagnosis, but um, you've, you've had the privilege of getting to work yeah. with so many people with autism and these really are beautiful people created mm -hmm. in the image of God that can be used in such strong ways. And even that, that honing in behavior, uh, some of the best engineers, some of the best, um, you know, electricians and, and, and physical skill laborers uh, are, are folks that have struggled with autism, but mm -hmm. they have the ability to hone in on the specializations. Absolutely. Uh, just, just talk about, you know, obviously, like, like I said, we hear of the, the negative side of autism, but talk about the beauty of autism as well. Gosh, um, man, you got me started on a good one here. Um, I think you just hit the nail on the head in that every child is created in the image of God. And when we get parents who come to us with a fresh diagnosis, they can go through that little bit of a grief and mourning period. But what I tell them is your child is still the same child today as they were last week when they got that diagnosis. He is still Adam. Adam is still the same Adam he was yesterday and today and the Adam that God created him to be. So yeah, I'm absolutely with you right there. And I can tell you the only thing that keeps me away from my kiddos and not being a stay-at-home mom full-time is kids with autism because they are some of the most beautiful, creative, fun, silly, smart kids that I know. And as parents get further into therapy, they start seeing that hope and being like, you know what? <laughs> my kid does some quirky things, 
but look how it's serving them in life and mm. look how that can be used in the future. Um, so I think, I think it's okay to be sad. I think it's okay for you to um, not want your child to struggle. Um, one of my biological kiddos has a heart defect and it's pretty severe and I would not have chosen that for him. And I hate that he has to go through surgeries and I hate that things are a struggle, but I remember that's who God created him to be. And God has been and is being and will be glorified through that. So matter, no matter what your kid's diagnosis is, they're exactly who God created them to be. And the point of therapy isn't to stop them from being them, but it's to help them uh, be able to connect with others in the world and be the very best happiest, most joyful version of themselves that they can be. And I tell you what, when you see a kiddo in a grocery store having a meltdown because they have autism and they can't handle being told no, that kid's not happy. They're not joyful mm -hmm. in that moment. But as a behavior analyst, if I can give that family tools to help their child be able to walk through the grocery store and not have a meltdown and notice the bigger world around them, that child's happy in that moment. And that that is meaningful. So that's the point of therapy. It's not to change who they are. It's to help them better navigate the world and to better connect with people because God created us to be in connection and in community with others. Amen. Well, hopefully you have taken away a lot from what Taylor has said. One, that there is help if you need it for you mm -hmm. and your child, uh, that there are different types of therapy. Hopefully you will also see just those first steps. And so I just want to mention a couple of, of other things as we close. Just, just remember, God has so, so much common grace, and he has given us so many great therapists as, with speech therapists and physical therapists, and occupational therapists and ABA therapists to help us along this journey. And so know that God has his common grace. There's so many wonderful believers like Taylor's and others that we know too that have chosen this field as a calling from the Lord to be able to use these gifts and abilities to serve him and to ultimately give these children hope and to give these children the ability to go forward. Uh, if you want more on uh, seeing a behavioral analysis, you can, like Taylor said, go to the website at BACB.com and then make sure, like we said on your first steps, to call Lifeline. We would love to help you, love to help you get engaged with a therapist or to seek out the therapist that might be right for you and your child. Also, make sure you see your pediatrician and ask your pediatrician to help you make those next steps. And then the, the very first thing is we would tell families, we know it's stressful when you need additional therapy. We know it's stressful from a financial standpoint. We know it can be stressful from an emotional standpoint. But also, just even like Taylor said, know that even though it may be inconvenient and even though it may not be what you have planned, that God has a special purpose and a sovereign will to use these children for his great glory. So Taylor, thanks for joining us. And is there any last bit of information that you'd like to give us? No, I think we pretty well covered it. And if you're listening today, it's because you want to be the best parent that you can for your child. So I'm really glad that you took the time um, to listen and learn a little bit today. Well, Taylor, thanks again for all that you have done for the Ministry of Lifeline, for the way that you have served. And most importantly, we thank you and your family for wrapping around your daughter that you brought home from China. Well, you're welcome. It's our pleasure. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. 
Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.